0: Carol Carman, and on behalf of of denisofgruntyfen.co.uk, I'd like to welcome you to this Grunty Fen podcast. Later on, there's a free episode for you to enjoy in celebration of the fact that Mr. South has finally put pen to paper and written a new book called The Authorised Guide to Grunty Fen. Illustrated by John Holder, this volume is a must for all fenatics, featuring, as it does, sections on the history of Grunty Fen, its people currency exchange rates, shopping, nightlife, and health risks. I went to visit Mr. South at his home, and by the fire in his library, I asked him why he decided to finally write this book.
1: Well, quite frankly, I didn't. I mean, it's it's kind of you to inquire. But I didn't decide. People like... Oh, it was women. Let's, Let's be frank about it. It was women who nagged and bullied me into it. I'd resisted the idea of writing a guidebook to Grunty Fenn for, oh, at least ten years, maybe more. And in the end I gave in for the sake of a quiet life. And I can remember sitting down beside a great heap of A4 with a sharpened ballpoint pen and just sitting there. And I just couldn't do it. There was always an excuse not to write the blinking thing. You know, something needed doing in the garden or some potatoes needed peeling or something something unimportant like that. I just put it off and put it off. And, and you can believe this or you can believe it not. I don't really care, but I'm going to tell you the absolute truth of how I got started on writing this book that women had been chiving and bullying me into for years and years and years. Miss Edwards was the worst by far. Um, In the end, in order to get away from the whole problem, I went on a long holiday. Now, I repeat, you can believe this or you can believe it not. I, I really don't care, but this is the truth. I went on a very long journey to the southwest of China, Well, after all, this guidebook to Grunty Fen is called Gateway to the East, so why not go as far east as possible, having left Grunty Fen? So that's what I did. And I went to the state of Yunnan, in the extreme southwest of China, which is in the foothills of the Himalayas, and is, well, it's Tibet. Geographically, it's Tibet. And I was in... You're not going to believe this, but it is true. I was in a, a, a little village in the foothills of uh, the Himalayas, a Tibetan village, in a lovely little cranky hotel. And I sat down in that wooden bedroom. It was wooden walls, wooden ceiling. Everything was wooden, looking out at the mountains. And I thought, I'm far enough away from Grunty Fen at last, to see it objectively. Because you have to understand dear listener, that if you are in Grunty Fen, it is so, well, it's so overwhelmingly awful that you, you can't really see it objectively. But as you move away from it, this curious thing happens and inexplicably you become fond of it. You become fond of a place that when you are actually in it, you deplored. So there I was, in this Tibetan village, you're not going to believe this, I know you're not. I was in this Tibetan village and I, I made friends. My wife and I chummed up with a Tibetan farmer and his wife and his son and they invited us into the farmhouse. And as we were crossing the farmyard, we had to step with great difficulty from side to side to avoid the yak droppings i knew you wouldn't believe it but this is true so there i was picking a course very cautiously across this tibetan farmyard towards the farmhouse trying to pick a way through the yak droppings and into my mind came the thought it was so much easier in grunty fen well you know, do you see what i'm driving at that getting from A to B in Grunty Fen is a bit of a, an obstacle course because there are these puddles, which, and this is not true of any other puddle on earth, the puddles in Grunty Fen are deeper at the edges than they are in the middle. So you cannot sensibly just step cautiously into the edge of a puddle in Grunty Fen because you will find that you're nine inches. Or knee deep in mud. And there are all sorts of other things. There are droppings, there are animal droppings in Grunty Fen, which I do not wish to explore further at this moment. So, crossing a farmyard among yak droppings in Yunnan in a Tibetan farmhouse was a pushover compared with Grunty Fen. And this, this is what happened. I settled down at the hotel and I started to write the guidebook to Grunty Fen. And as a result, you now have before you a guidebook which is fond. It likes Grunty Fen with gritted teeth. It likes Grunty Fen. It's anxious that strangers venturing into Grunty Fen should like it. And that's very odd, because whenever I'm actually there, I can't abide the place. I mean, the people are so... Well, they're not rude, but they're difficult. They they never say what you expect them to say. And they're so contrary. They take the opposite view on anything you want to talk about. And yet they've got so much to be proud of, but they're not proud of the things that they ought to be proud of. I mean... Gruntyfin people ought to be proud of the fact that they've managed to survive the green flux. That's a terrible disease. You, you may not have heard of it, but it, it's passed down through fan- generations of generations of people die from the green flux. It's incurable. But it only turns out... Oh, I, I, no, I won't. The symptoms are... Never mind. They have survived the green flux, according to record for three or four hundred years. They have survived without actually really working. I mean, very, very few people do what you would call a job. And certainly none of it turns up in national statistics. That's something to be proud of in a way. I mean, perversely. I mean, it's it's an achievement. But they're not proud of all these things they've done. They're They're proud of... Getting away with it, I suppose. They're proud of the village hall. Have you ever seen Granty Village Hall? How can anybody be proud of that dilapidated, tottering heap of sticks? Beats me. I don't know why then. Oh, I do feel so at odds. I didn't feel like this when I was in Yunnan. When I was in Yunnan and writing the guidebook, and I wrote a bit more on another holiday. I should think I wrote about one third of it in China and about another third. We were on a trip to the Cape Verde Islands, stuck out there off the coast of Africa in the middle of the Atlantic. And, um, oh, goodness, the journey there was so boring uh, that um, I started writing again. So that was to to be sort of rounded off. I, I suppose I wrote a third of it in China, a third of it going to the Cape Verde Islands. And you might ask, if you care, where did I write the other third? And I haven't got a clue. I think I must have been drunk or something. i tell you one thing. i tell you one thing. If you read this book with any close attention, you will find that if you get seriously bored... I mean, I don't doubt you'll be bored most of the time, but... If you get seriously bored, then it's the bits I didn't write in China or the Cape Verde Islands. The bits when I was so close to Grunty Fenn back home that it started to get a grip of me. And that great, miasmic cuddle of squalid vapours and mud and bickering and belief in the... Totally ridiculous things like a rhubarb factory. All those things which, you know, I mean, no normal person could possibly believe. They start... Oh, dear, oh, dear. I sometimes wonder for my own sanity, seriously. Because I've lived with Grunty Fenn for 17, 18, 18, Nearly 30 years. Three decades. Grunty Fenn has been part of my life. Meeting Dennis, I must tell you a little later how I came to meet Dennis, but meeting Dennis almost weekly, 17 years, interviewing him about life at Grunty Fen. very reluctantly at first, and how he, he got into my soul, if you believe in the existence of a soul, and I think I started to go mad. I seriously think I got a bit loopy. I started to believe things I was told by people at Grunty Fen that were preposterous. I mean, whoever heard of a cottage hospital that rented itself out for weekend breaks to people and that the ambulance was used for carrying people on seaside holidays or... Weddings was never used for carrying the halt or the lame. I mean, who would believe it? Who would believe continuing the medical part of it? Who would believe that there was a doctor, a general practitioner in the village, frequently consulted by local people? Not because he knew anything about medicine, although he did. Doc Wallace was reasonably well qualified. He'd been in the Navy for some time and... He knew things about... Well, never mind, we'll gloss that over. Um, but he, he knew quite a bit about the way people could behave. But people didn't go to the surgery to talk to Dr Wallace. They went to talk to his parrot. I'm not sure it was a parrot. I always thought it was a McCoy, but everybody called it a parrot. Anyway, this parrot was trained in, in medicine, if you like, and the local people believed that what the parrot said was sensible. So somebody would come in and talk about their ankle or their elbow or their whatever, and he, the parrot would say, it's me nerves, doctor, or um, that's a piggin. I'm sorry, I know this is ridiculous. And the people would believe what the parrot said rather than the doctor. Now, this is just an example of how I began to believe this nonsense, because so many people told me, including the doctor as a matter of fact. I didn't interview the parrot. Well, he would have said, that's a big one, I suppose. Anyway, this is the way Grunty Fenn drew me in. And I somehow had to release myself from the... I've just thought of the stink pipe. I'm sorry, it's, this is not an obscene conversation, but, you know, this is the way my head works. I cannot get away from Grunty Fenn. You know that... Of the bill, and this is all in the guidebook, so you you can read. If you, I mean, if it's in the guidebook, it must be true, mustn't it? The tallest building in Grunty Fen. This comes in the architecture section of the guidebook. Is the stink pipe behind the gents at the Bull Pub? It's taller than the tower of the parish church, because the tower has subsided by several feet, quite recently, as a matter of fact. So the stink pipe is the tallest building in Grunty Fen and it is used apart from anything else. Well, yeah, its mean, main use is obvious, isn't it? It's used for hanging bunting from it. Um, well, I don't know, coronations, jubilees and that sort. There's, there's little bits of tatty bunting hanging at the top. Oh, goodness, and underneath is the gent's. You see, this is how Grunty Fen traps you. You begin to believe that the totally preposterous is true. Do you know where the Grunty Fenn boy scouts troop meet? In the gents, under the stink pipe, at the bull. I know, it's ridiculous, because they were kicked out of the village hall for having a campfire in the hall. a jolly good thing if they'd burned the hall down. But anyway, you don't believe me. All right. Suits you, But if you read this guidebook, you will begin to believe these things are true, as I have. And the awful thought is, maybe they are. Maybe all these things I've been told, like the Guy Fawkes Night bonfire, on which they burn vats of industrial mayonnaise and old tyres... Really do generate a smoke which has a therapeutic quality, which attracts people from far away, people with asthmatic and, and, and bronchial disorders, stand downwind of the bonfire in order to heal themselves of their disorders. You begin to believe all this. And who is to say? Who is to say that you're wrong? I mean, it's all so convincing. I mean, if you manage to read the new guidebook and come out of it still confident that you are a sane, sensible person, then you're a better person than I am. Truly. I mean, I wrote it, and I think I believe it, because I was told it, on good evidence. I'm off to you, Nan, now, because I'm really feeling very, very confused, and it's only when I go a long way from Granty Fenn, and believe you me... Calais is not far enough. Warsaw, forget it. Calcutta, still close to home. You need to go the other side of the Himalayas. You need to go to a little village in Tibet. And then you feel all right again. I'll see you there.
0: That's Christopher South speaking to me at his home about how foreign travel had enabled him to write what's been needed for years. THE AUTHORIZED GUIDE TO GRUNTY FEN And with foreign travel in mind, let's hear that free episode of Dennis of Grunty Fen that I promised you. Let me take you back to August 2003, when Dennis was looking forward to his own summer holiday. Faint
2: tigers got dewdrops on their nose. Faint tigers got whips in their toes. Faint tigers got teal and grut old point. does that wind come off the fence, blow you there and back again. Run that wind come off the fin. blow you off your boy.
1: Thank you, Dennis. And let's get Ahoy straight there. there. <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Uh, let's pick up from where we Ahoy were. There, <laughs> <me hearty. laughs> yes, Ahoy there, me Yes, indeed. there. My hearty. As I was saying, let's pick up from where we left off last week. Now, you were she saying... that worked up, you know, my body. <laughs> but as I told you last week, Dennis, you can't go on a holiday abroad
2: without a passport. And as I told you last week, that's just where you're wrong.
1: No, Dennis, no, I'm not. I mean, if you're thinking of travelling beyond the European Union, you and Miss Deets will face Cruising. an absolute... Ri- what did you say?
2: Cruising. Cruising? See, that's where you get on a boat and it, and it yes. takes you abroad. Yeah, I know
1: it. I know
2: what a cruise is, Dennis, but... don't I, need a passport for that, you know. But, but, I mean... Not so long as you don't disembark. Mm. Not so long as you don't... But, but Dennis, you can circumcise the world without getting off, you know.
1: Circumnavigate, I think. Look, even you know if you were right, which, which you're not, what would be the point of going to... Well, the coast of China or India or, or Africa without landing.
2: I mean, the whole point of, of travelling is. You can is wave to... to the natives when they come out in those little old canoes selling calabashes and that, can't you? Look, Dennis, why not simply apply for a passport?
1: Mm.
2: Eh? Why, why not get a passport?
1: If you're really serious.
2: It'll be about... all right for Mordy. She's got the wherewithal and now. She's got the wherewithal. The papers, the papers. So, they have never really found out that no, me. No, 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 no. I see what you're driving at now. Yes. Well, I thought I'd found it once. Yeah, it's your birth certificate. In the peep frame. It's yes, the old
1: biscuit in which your grandmother keeps the family archive, yes. that. Uh, <laughs> your birth certificate turned out right. to be a kennel club registration for a dog.
2: Dodger. Mm. Yes,
1: Dodger. Even your old dog was better known to the civil service than you are. So how, how, how have you managed to pass through life without even so much as brushing with authority? I'll tell you one thing, it's going to make it rather difficult to get a passport. I mean, that's for sure, I grant you that.
2: I suppose I could apply for a passport in the name of Dodger. <sighs> no,
1: not really, Dennis, really. The passport office seldom issues papers to dead dogs. The foreigners wouldn't know. Yes, but Think but of the
2: I... funny names what they got. Broke on the news the other day called Banana. Dennis, mm. I... I uh, well, if you can get away with Dennis, it... Dennis, are all you it.
1: seriously proposing to travel round the world without setting foot on land? Not necessarily. But,
2: but without a passport... Well, you... they can't have them all the way round, can they? What? There's bound to be gaps. G- gaps in what? Well, if we got the captain to sort of sail well, close to the coast, we could... Asked for the loan of his skiff and, skiff. and spot a gap in that, see? Look, Dennis, I'm sorry, but this, this... Well, you take Squire Livesey and Captain Trelawney. Squire Livesey and... They never had to show this passports when they landed on Treasure Island, did they? Dennis, look... I say, they spotted a gap. Spotted... Dennis, this gap you keep mentioning... In the guards. The guards? They're coast guards. Coast guards. Mm. They can't have them shoulder to shoulder all round all the beaches in the world. Can they talk sense? They've got to be gaps.
1: Dennis, Dennis, cruise ships do not call in at, at gaps. we might have to
2: pay the captain a bit extra for the use of his skiff or really,
1: really extra for the... And then you'd slip ashore on some deserted coast, you and Mordy alone in some hostile, godforsaken place where... Well, that'd no,
2: only be till we went back to the boat. Even so, Dennis. Well, in Maudie, didn't we know it. Hey, look after ourselves. <laughs> <and look, laughs> how would you survive on a far flung oh, coast? We've got a couple of tins of Ambrosia cream rice in her vanity case, Missy. Tint, my Mordy. Tin rice. Something to see us through till we find our feet tint. and start living tint. off the land. See, that'd be nice to get some fresh fruit there, yeah, you know? fresh. some nice, juicy poppacata petals. Pop-a-ca- that's a volcano, Dennis. Doc Wallace. Oh you know.
1: yes, Doc Wallace. Yes, mm. your old general practitioner. He, he was a naval doctor. You say if
2: we do go ashore, yes. we mustn't consort with no sailors in fear of the Moby Dick. You say the fear of the. See, one of the big dangers of cruising, Missy. Moby Dick. What? What dangers? Know what that is? Well, I
1: don't know. No. What, I mean, some people say putting on weight um, when you're on a cruise because of the rich food that's
2: scurvy. Served. Scurvy. Well that's apart from the Spanish. The what? Do a lot of marauding the Spanish. Marauding? <laughs> Dennis. Mayor Morty will be all right. Yeah. Would well, you be safe from the marauding? She you think? always pack a tube of fruit gums in her vanity case in her...
1: To repel marauding Spaniards. For the
2: scurvy, for the scurvy. Oh,
1: yes, of course, silly me, yes, I didn't think. Of course I shall
2: bang her biscuits out for her. Mm. Morty,
1: you,
2: you, you bang her... Well, that wouldn't be ladylike having to bang out her own weevils, would it? Know, and I that ain't just the right. scurvy and, and the Spaniards you've got to look out for really? when you're cruising, you Really, huh?
1: really? Well, Oh, of course, there's the giant octopuses, I suppose, and the weevils and the mermaids... And the
2: corsairs... And...
1: Oh, yes, of course, the
2: Corsairs, oh, yes. They it, ain't uh, as bad as they used to be. That's mm. very
1: true, Dennis. The Corsairs are not as bad as they used to be. Most of the time it's quite peaceful, modern cruising. Very little piracy, and as for scurvy... Look, most of the time, Dennis, all you've got to do is enjoy yourself on deck.
2: And that's I mean, another I mean, thing. When the captain shoots for all hands to go aloft, I shall be all right. <laughs> aloft? Uh, I'll be the one what's sitting on the bullocks, giving them a tune and, and the that. The what? Eh? The bullocks? You ain't come across bullocks, missus? See, that's a nautical term, you know. Mm. Bullocks? That's spelt bulwarks. Dennis. But that's pronounced bullocks. Dennis. It's bulwarks. I'm sorry, Miss Heath, but see forecastle—that's forecastle. That's yes. rowlocks thats Rollocks. Yes, that's right. Boatswain—that's boatswain. That's yeah. Boeson, Boeson, yes. And and bulwarks—that's bullocks. No, Dennis. Uh, um, it, it's miss South, really how many years have you spent before the mast? Before. The... Me well,
1: I mean I've had a certain amount.
2: Take of that. it from me, that's bullocks. Oh,
1: all right, all right, all right. Have it your way. Incidentally, a moment ago, what was this
2: you said about giving the crew a tune? Well, when they're all up aloft, and that. Yeah, that's another thing. This you see lof- me there, sitting on the bullocks, playing oh, me banjo, oh, and uh, playing your your banjo. Why? Well, get out of going aloft, that dude, is not it? Playing your banjo. This yes, is. Yes. Did you ever see Victor Masterman in Corsairs of the Caribbean? Was some old film you saw as a boy? Yeah.
1: Where he no, got out
2: of no. picking oakum by, by playing his whistle, you know. No, I don't think I ever saw that. But uh, everything he done as long as he played his whistle, while the rest of the mutineers was hard at it and Really?
1: And you proposed to play your banjo? Well, in Victor order
2: Masterman, to... they only had that little old whistle. Think what I could do with a banjo, missus. Yeah, yeah. Have to um, anchor up in no time, they no will. With me giving you.
1: your vision of a cruising holiday is somewhat. I mean, I, I scarcely just, I just know where to begin. I mean, for a start, look, I fail to see how you could afford such a luxurious holiday cruising. I mean, how are you going to pay for it?
2: Pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. Doubloons? Mm, don't reckon me and Morty could run to a piece of eight, Miss <laughs> Precisely. Don't they do small change. I mean, change. pieces of two or pieces of one. Dennis. What do you want about doubloons? Dennis, Dennis, I was being ironical. Look, forgive me. I was... It'd be I, was daft I was trying to pay your way in trousers, would not it? Trousers? Well, where would I get them from in the first place? I mean, trousers. not many what wear doubloons these days, is it? Dennis, doubloons! Well, you would oh, got oh, a well, very baggy pair of corduroys, man. They I mean, ain't exactly what you would call the blooms. You wouldn't let me have them, of. Dennis, have you thought about the social life on board a cruise ship? Huh? I mean, think of the etiquette, the, the demands on your wardrobe. you yes. taking a great wardrobe with me. I can tell you that for a start, anyway. No, the sea no. air lift a veneer. No. You'll be having me humping the pile of the table and the no, chef-anier no, abroad no, next to no, you no. I mean, you'd have to dress for dinner. Dress for dinner. Yes. Well, of course i dress for dinner. Well then, there you go Think we would eat in the nude, do you? Have you Have you got a dinner jacket? No. What? A dinner jacket. Have you got a dinner jacket? Oh, a jacket specially for eating dinner. Well, you got one. Oh. Yeah, of course I have. Uh, yes. Mm. What colour is it then? Black. It's a bit gloomy, isn't it? Black. Ooh, black. Yeah, well, I suppose that hide the stains. Well, that isn't. The... Do you have dinner trousers? and all? Look, Dennis, um... you have breakfast trousers and supper trousers? N- no. <laughs> Dennis. you have to nip out and change your trousers before you eat a bag of Christmas? Dennis, unfortunately,
1: we've run out of time. Or perhaps. It's because I'm an old
2: fanboy. That don't mean I believe everything you tell me, you know. Song, Dennis. I mean, just old country boys. Sing your song, please. Dennis. That's all in your life. That's all in your life. Don't go scratching up your poor old head. Don't go worrying, just go back to bed. That's all in your life when you're along. him, Dead. That's all in your life. God bless. You're telling me next you, you had to wear a pair of shorts for a snack or something like that, weren't you? No, you're
1: being ridiculous.
2: Me? Yes. you <laughs> a ridiculous one. Tracing for dinner. Banging her biscuit and weevils out. Tracing.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Grunty Fennery, keepers and purveyors of all things Dennis. If you'd like to know more about the world of Grunty Fen, please visit www.dennisofgruntyfen.co.uk where you can also buy further episodes and memorabilia, including Mr South's new book. If you have any comments on this podcast, or suggestions for further topics for Mr South to talk about, we'd welcome your emails. Please send them to dennis at dennisofgruntyfen.co.uk.